I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today. This is an interesting um, uh, interesting piece from the Revised Common Lectionary. Uh, we are back to Mark um, chapter 6, verses 30, well, 30 through 56. But if you actually look at the, uh, the markers, it's, it's all chopped up. And I have to be honest, when I looked at it, I didn't even pick up on how poorly it's chopped. Um, and it makes it for a very awkward um, situation. So we're actually going to do, do more. We're going to go all the way from 30 to 56. And, and I'll let Alan explain this a little bit more. Thanks, Christy. Yeah, I, you know, I have to say that in the case of our, our lesson for the week, I think the lectionary just goes too far. Um, we're meant to read only really the beginning and the ending of this passage, which completely bypasses the substance of the text in Mark's gospel. Now, we've seen already that unfortunately in year B, the lectionary alternates between Mark and John. And beginning next week, we spend five weeks on John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 and the Bread of Life discourse. And that's the only explanation I can come up with for their omitting Mark's account this week as they saw it as duplicate. I don't think so, because I think we're going to find that Mark's version is different mm-hmm. from, from John's version. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I'm not really pleased with the way the lectionary dealt with the text <laughs> this week, to say I, the least. I, just, yeah, keep that awareness if you jump to it, especially if you don't have a lot of time to study it in depth, that you really need to kind of maybe move more than just it, than it provides, at I least, think. At least read through the whole passage. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I, I'm on, um, I like to use this piece from Vanderbilt where, you know, you click right. on it and it pops open only those little sections yes. you need to read. Yes, I use the same one. So you, yeah, you have to be, make sure on this one that you're aware. As I said, it kind of caught me off guard. I didn't quite realize how much was chopped out when I first looked at it. So moving on then friends, um, let's talk about this, the episode we're looking at, which is in all four gospels. Yeah. And this is unique because actually this is, it's not only one of the events in Jesus life that's found in all four gospels. Gospels. It's the only miracle story found mm-hmm. in all four Gospels. And we might wonder why they would focus so much attention on this particular miracle. I think, you know, and, and I've changed my mind on this over the years. Um, mm-hmm. Some see a Eucharistic background for mm-hmm. this text. And and probably 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have said, yeah, I would have said, no, nah, I don't think so. But the more I read it, the more I think, I, I, yeah, I think I do explain, I think it explains why this passage may have been so important to the mm-hmm. early church. We'll see some of the ways in which the wording of what Jesus says, and, and even, um, you know, when we go into John, we'll see it's very clear in John's gospel. Oh, good. Okay. So um, why don't you tell us then, just put this um, into this context, what is this story here that we're talking about? Yeah, so the story begins with Jesus inviting his disciples to withdraw with him for rest. And we need to remember this comes right after Mark's narrative of the martyrdom of John the Baptist. So that's a big deal. (laughs) You need rest. that was traumatic. I mean, we, we yeah. kind of overlook it, I think, yeah. in our modern sensibilities of uh, movies. And it's such a it's such a theatrical right? thing that we kind of forget that, oh, my gosh, this is really horrible. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and so, so yeah, it was a trauma for, for them as well. We should also remember that this resumes the narrative plot from the 12 returning from their own preaching and healing mission. And um, now Mark himself explains this retreat based on the fact that many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat, as he says in mm-hmm. verse 31. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> their, their intention was thwarted because they were recognized on the way. And so Mark tells us that while Jesus and the disciples were crossing the lake to get away from the crowds, they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of him. <laughs> And, you know, I must confess that detail has always seemed strange to me unless Jesus and the 12 were actually rowing, which is suggested in, by the detail in Mark 6.48 that they were straining at the oars. Mm, so, could, I mean, oh, sure, trying to row across sense. a lake is a di- big difference from sailing across a lake. Right, <laughs> right. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. So then now we're moving on. Um, um, 
what 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 happens when when Jesus gets there? What what happens next? Yeah. So from Mark's perspective, I think the point of the story would seem to be that when Jesus came ashore, he saw this great crowd. Mark says here he's going to tell us how many later, but it's a great crowd that is gathered. And rather than growing irritated that they could not take the rest that they were intending to, he had compassion on mm-hmm. them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think that's that's the key here. I do too, and I you know I think about this is is so interesting because we've all been in that situation where we're really yes. trying to get away from somebody <laughs> yes. and they come again a very uh, important part of this. Even though it might be something you'd skip over, it's very part right. of who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, and the verb esplankniste is is one that occurs primarily in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, for Jesus' sympathetic response to the crowds. It's used four times in Mark mm-hmm. and three uh, Matthew, three times in Mark, only one time in Luke, which I found to be interesting. Well, what is a literal translation of that? I would say to be moved to compassion. Now, it's interesting because the noun form splanknon means literally intestines or in the king james it's called the bowels of compassion oh and and i think it reflects the idea that you know when you really feel moved by strong emotion you feel it in In your your abdomen right okay but uh, so it's an interesting idiomatic kind of thing it is it is but but it simply means to be moved with compassion Mm -hmm. yeah but i think i like i mean actually i like that origin because that really that really is a a, a word with nuance when you mm-hmm. think about that. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. And those of us who are still remember the King James, you know, that, that phrase stands right. out. Right. <laughs> that's go and look at the King James, everybody on this one. That I think that's, a, it's not here, but it's, it's, it's for the, the noun is used by Paul and, and you know, it, mm-hmm. there, there are places right. where it's the bowels oh, of okay. compassion. Okay. Yeah, the bowels of mercy. Oh, oh very good. Yeah. Okay. So as a result then of Jesus compassion, Mark tells us that Jesus began to teach them many things. Um, well, this is interesting because this kind of is a f- parallel to, to John's account because that's the whole purpose of John's account of the feeding of 5,000. But here, we're not really told what Jesus taught them. I think presumably he would have been teaching the same thing he'd been teaching right. all along, that right. you know the good news of God's reign, which he was bringing to them through his ministry and teaching. Right. Okay. Now, if you follow the, the lectionary as is, you're going to jump to the end of the story. Um, you know, tell us, tell us what your, your position or take on that is. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you can do that if you want to, and, but it seems to me that we cannot adequately portray Jesus' compassion for the great crowds that were following him without discussing the fact that he fed the whole multitude. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of the point of the passage here. So to me, the lectionary has cut out the whole meat of the matter. Right, right. Um, Now, Jesus' uh, feeding of the crowd may suggest, many have seen a parallel with the ministries of Elijah, and especially Elisha, um, Mm. both of whom were actually fed the hungry. Elijah, after he had called forth this uh, three-year drought and famine, um, spent that time with a widow in Zarephath, which was outside of Jewish territory, and her children. And, um, you know, this was the, the jar of, of flour and the jar of oil that oh, did not give out yes, for three yes, years right, or so in, mm-hmm. in 1 Kings 17. Elisha, we may not be familiar with this, but Elisha also feeds um, uh, the hundred sons of the prophets in mm-hmm. Gilgal during a famine with barley loaves. <laughs> which is inter- an interesting right. parallel. It, it is interesting. In Second yeah. Kings four, yeah. so um, um, yeah, I think there's there's something of a parallel that's meant to be seen there with the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. Okay. okay. So um, then, tell us about you know obviously heading back into the text appropriately. What happens in terms of this feeding of five thousand? How does this play out? Yeah, so Jesus is teaching the crowd, and, and you know, all we know so far is that it's a great crowd, and uh, the the disciples want to send the crowd away to get something to eat in the surrounding villages. I've always seen that as, uh, at best, 
very difficult and probably highly unlikely that that huge crowd i mean they were in a they were they were in a deserted place right and so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where are they going to go there weren't really any towns and villages around for them to be able to find food and really were there enough towns and villages to to for 5000 plus people to find that food to eat i just have always right, seen that as right, being right. pretty unlikely but instead jesus commanded them to feed the crowd and the rep- the, the disciples were astounded by this and exclaimed that 200 denarii could not feed the crowd. Now, remember, a denarius was a day's wage mm-hmm. for a manual laborer. So this was about the equivalent of six to seven months wage. You know, the disciples to me here seem to have a bad case of amnesia. You know, they have seen Jesus' authority over evil, mm-hmm. over disease, over nature, and even over death. And they had themselves just been out doing some of the same things that he had been doing, even healing and casting out demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it seems like they're, it, you know, really slow to catch on. Right. And Mark's right. going to have some choice words to say about that later. You know, I think about that, and I always, siding with the disciples, but I always wonder if eating just seemed so mundane. I mean, these Mm. other things are, you know, disease, and they keep you apart, but eating is just something every single person has to do. I don't think in that day and time that eating would have been seen as mundane. I think in a, in a, in a, for people who are food secure, right, it seems mundane, but these folks would not have known where their food I, for the day I, came from. You know, from. and I don't, I, I do know in the Roman Empire that this time is a time of plenty, at least for a lot of folks anyway. I, I mean, would not say, a, I would not say that's the case in Palestine. Probably estimates, not the case in Palestine. Estimates, estimates are that in, in, or in Judea, that in Judea, 80% of the population lived at the subsistence so, level. Yeah. But, but even then, even then, this still is different than disease, I'm, I'm giving I'm giving disciples a little bit of credit for being clueless. I guess <laughs> right, right. Well, Mark doesn't have any credit to give them, as we'll see later. Right. Okay. So let's keep moving on, um, and then so the next set is for, to have these people sit down. Right. So so Jesus directs the crowd, the, the disciples, to have the crowd sit in groups, literally group by group, symposia, symposia. It's a it's a unique construction where you have two accusative nouns and it basically is meant means group by group uh this is the only occurrence of this word in the new testament but it was widely used in greek Mm -hmm. literature because a symposium could range from a banquet to a teaching session socrates did most of his teaching in symposia and then only mark interesting tells us that the grass was green which is an interesting detail that the the rest of the Gospels leave out, perhaps suggesting a time Mm -hmm. in the spring. And then Mark also specifies that the group and groups, and here he says, prosii, prosii, which is another word. It literally means garden beds. (laughs) Oh, mm -hmm. And it's the only occurrence in the New Testament. And and these groups were by fifties and hundreds. And only Mark tells us that. Okay, okay. And so then what happens? And you tell us this is in all four Gospels. What yeah. happens? Well, so, you know, this is, this is one thing that I find really amazing about the feeding of the 5,000. It's in all four Gospels. Mm-hmm. It's the only miracle in all four Gospels. But in all four Gospels, the actual feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish is amazingly understated. Mm-hmm. None of the Gospels describe how Jesus affected the miracles. You know, we, we've seen in other places that Jesus heals people simply by, by a word. Mm-hmm. We, see, we have the interesting time we'll, that we'll get to later in Mark where Jesus heals a man who's blind by taking dust and with his spittle right. forming, forming an ointment to rub on his eyes. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, there is no description here of how Jesus affected the miracle. The Gospels only say with Mark that Jesus took the loaves and fish, blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before the people, Mm -hmm. and he divided the two fish among them all. And so, you know, that's it. Yeah. That's it. it. There's really no other description of how Jesus did this. Now, the terminology of breaking the bread and blessing it doesn't have to reflect the Lord's Supper because that was the normal Jewish practice Mm -hmm. at meals, but 
I think Mark's original audience would not have failed to make the connection, in, in, especially in light of the sequence, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Having looked up to heaven, he blessed and broke the bread and gave them to the disciples, which, by the way, is word almost word for word in all three synoptic gospels, yeah, which I find yeah. very interesting. Very interesting. And you want, you know, I wonder, I'm always about the oral tradition, but mm-hmm. to, this was probably part of the oral, oral yes. tradition. They would have recognized. Well, and it. and some have suggested, and we'll we'll see that perhaps later on that um, uh, there may have been um, um, some pre-existing narratives that 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 predated the Gospels mm-hmm. on this one, and mm-hmm. because there's so much agreement among mm-hmm. the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Now, in John's Gospel, we'll, as we'll see also when we go through John, uh, there is no ritual meal with the final supper. The final supper in John's right. gospel is Correct. about the washing of the feet. Right, right. And so um, a lot of scholars have looked to John's account of the feeding of 5,000 as providing a foundation for the Eucharistic meal. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, especially in light of the fact that the feeding of 5,000 essentially sets up the bread of life discourse, which is right. full right. of Eucharistic themes. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, but tell us though, um, is this a miracle? Yes, a miracle? yeah, it certainly is a miracle. But the only suggestion that there's a miracle that happens is found in the very next statement that all who were there ate and were filled. So is the miracle the what happens to the bread and the fish, or is the miracle that everyone was filled? <laughs> who knows? Okay. I mean, that's the that's the point. Is that yeah. we really have no description of the miracle itself. All we all we're told is that this whole great crowd. Not only ate, but they were filled. Mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. they ate all that they wanted. Mm-hmm. They ate enough. And there was leftover. Oh, and there were 12 baskets of leftover mm-hmm. pieces. And in Mark's gospel, not only the bread, but also the fish. Mm-hmm. There were leftover pieces from the two fish. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's, that's just amazing to me. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have the notice that those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Mm-hmm. How would Jesus have, how would five loaves and two fish been able to feed that many people? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just incredible. I'm going to take him on a segue here um, because this is one of the big things that women are, you know, well, I'm sure there were women there and, but people will look at this as just being men and is just really being open to men in this way that the true followers are men. This kind of thing comes off of this. So uh, mm. explain the language here. Yeah, I think this is just, it's conventional language. You know, um, the word is um, androi. It is not anthropoi. Mm-hmm. So anthropos, as we know in the Greek, can oftentimes be a generic word for mm-hmm. humankind, mm-hmm. and it's oftentimes translated that way. But androi, andros, mm-hmm. is not. That's a word for males. And, um, and so uh, it does say that there were 5,000 males. Now, I think this was, I don't think this means that there were no women or children there. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's hard for me to, I can scarcely believe that. Mm-hmm. I, I think there would have been women and children there, um, but I think this just follows kind of the convention of the day that they counted the men. Right, yeah. And, and, I, would say, I would say that's probably the tradition too. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, um, you know, uh, really, again, the only suggestion that we've got a miracle is we have this huge crowd right. and they all are able to eat and be filled, be satisfied right, right. with five loaves and two fish. Right. In fact, based on what Mark says later, I, I, I think even the disciples really didn't catch on as to what was going on. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the crowd in Mark's gospel had no idea that there was a miracle that took place. Oh, yeah. I, I don't yeah. think the crowd oh, in Mark's gospel point. even you know, knew that there was a miracle. An, in, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't. I hadn't thought of it that way before. You know, I, I guess I kind of always assumed, and I'm saying just assumption, I'd never thought about it, that they were quite aware, you know. And I think that comes maybe from the tradition of, of seeing the, the imagery, like the, the, mm. the illustrations of Jesus and everyone watching. But you're right. I bet they had no idea. that. Well, I mean, how, how do you depict this miracle in art or in movies, you know? Exactly. I remember the, 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 the Jesus movie that was based on Luke's gospel. Jesus raises up 
yeah, uh, platter, yeah. uh, you know, a basket with the loaves and fish. And he, after he blesses it, he brings it down and it's overflowing with right. food, you know. That's reading too much into it. We mm-hmm. don't, that none of the gospels say that. It, so yeah, I, yeah. I really, I really don't, th- I mean, in the synoptic account, I don't think that the crowd, we're meant to see that the crowds even knew that there well, was a miracle. And this, this makes sense a little bit with some of the ideas that the reformers are presenting about it as well. Um, you know, I think that's a, definitely a, a, a modern day assumption about it, but, but interesting, yeah. um, it, very interesting. Yeah. Well, and okay. So another space of this too, is, you know, how, when you've had a good meal and you feel full, it makes you feel good about the situation. So it's still would, it's not necessarily that they saw the miracle that they are believing, but they're, they're having this wonderful, what yes. turns out to be this wonderful, warm they have a meal. A meal. Where everybody's filled. Exactly. Oh, and some of the folks might not have eaten the day before right. or the day before that. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to say. Um, okay. So then what happens here? Well, Mark says that after the feeding, the great crowds, Jesus immediately, now remember immediately. Mark's fondness for the word immediately, <laughs> Jesus immediately sent the disciples in the boat back to the other side of the lake. And after that... He went up on a mountain to pray. And mm-hmm. we saw that before in, mm-hmm. in the first chapter that, you know, Jesus withdrew by himself after an event of great significance. We'll learn just how important that may have been for him when we explore John's account of this event uh, next week. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and so then what happens next? Well, and Mark tells us that as he was praying, Jesus saw that the disciples were straining against an adverse wind in spite of the fact that Mark observes that the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. (laughs) So, you know, I've always wondered how is it that he saw them? And the word is just idon, which is the Mm -hmm. simple word for seeing. There's no, nothing special about that. Could he have seen them from the mountain? I I, I find that hard to believe that, you know, uh, because, I mean, they, they must have been quite a distance away from him. So how it was that he saw them is just simply left unexplained. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the fact that he saw them straining against the wind and came towards them early in the morning, literally uh, in the fourth, about the fourth watch of the night, mm-hmm. which would have been about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., you know, the fact that he, he came towards them sort of leaves you with the impression that he's coming to help them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then the text states that he intended to pass them by, mm-hmm. which just seems to me to be almost a non sequitur. How, how is that? How can that be? Mm-hmm. Now, I found something in, in um, Adela Yarborough Collins's and Harold Atrich's commentary on Mark that I found interesting because they compared this to the language of passing by in the theophanies that... Moses and Elijah experienced. You know, in, in Exodus yes. 34, yes. God says, I will cause my glory to pass by. Right, right. And, and the same thing in 1 Kings 19, when Elijah meets God on the mountain, mm-hmm. God's not in the, in, the, in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind. You know, um, then he caused, he, he passed by mm-hmm. Elijah, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so they suggest that this is the language of a theophany. And I think we'll see that plays into what's going on with the walking on the water, mm-hmm, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, of course, basically, it's, Mark says then that Jesus came toward, came toward them walking on the sea, which, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, that's language for what God does. God right. makes a way in the sea. Right. You know, people can't do this. People, right. So, and, and of course, their explanation was... It's a ghost. Right. So they clearly don't know who Jesus is, right? The, they, I mean, yeah, I think they're terrified because they could not comprehend the idea of a human being walking on the right. sea. That just, that just did not compute for them. Right. Uh, so, yeah, they thought it was a ghost. But in response, Jesus then calmed their fears and got into the boat, which caused the wind to cease immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to see that Jesus' declaration to them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, uh, it is I, is ego, I me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we're meant to see that in light of literally I am, mm-hmm. you know, in Exodus 3, 14 mm-hmm. or in other places yes, in the Hebrew yes. Bible uh, where God identifies himself. God can say, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Right. Or God can simply say through the prophets, I am. Right. 
And, yep. and so I think we're meant to see Jesus' statement, I am, ego, I me, mm-hmm. as an epiphany or perhaps more accurately, a Christophany or theophany. You know, Jesus is revealing his identity to them through this act of walking on the water. And, you know, as you're telling me this, I think the English, it wants to, you want to skip over that a little bit with the English. I think when we look at ego, I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the Greek makes it, makes it shine more, if you will. It yeah. makes it more obvious that it is I is, is just a commonplace, right? Right, exactly. But it kind of, it kind of takes away that. I, I, I think, in other words, if you're, if you're familiar with that or if you're interested in that, you might miss this in the English. I would probably translate it myself take heart. I, I am, am he. he. Yeah, I, am I think he. that's better. Yeah, um, or just simply, yeah, or just simply take heart. I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but anyway, just to in case you missed that, I think that's an easy. I one think to it is overlook. easy to overlook. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right, so we are moving on. Um, how did the disciples respond to all of this? Well, you know, I think it's amazing. In Mark's account here, uh, this is probably one of the harshest. Um, assessments of the disciples in all the gospel tradition. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mm-hmm. Despite all they had seen and done, Mark says the disciples were utterly astounded, literally, utterly, extremely astounded in themselves, or extremely, extremely astounded in themselves. <laughs> right. Of course, I, I would tend to think of that as being in awe, but I don't think... It, um, I don't ha- think Mark. Right. I don't think Mark is meaning, meaning for us to right. read that. I think I would read it as they were completely confounded. They yeah, they were okay. at a loss. They were right. totally confused. And I and, and Alan gave me some notes ahead of time. And and yeah, I, this this struck me at, by surprise because mm-hmm. I read this in a positive way. But that is not how the Greek is intended. I, I don't, well, we'll see later on. I mean. You know, um, Mark goes on to say that they had not understood about the loaves. Right, right, right. right? So, I mean, even the disciples seem to have just totally missed yeah. what happened yeah. with the feeding of the 5,000. Whether they were aware that there was a miracle at the original time or not is left uncertain, but they did not understand about the loaves. Right, right. And, and um, this is a contrast to the way Matthew reports it, because Matthew reports it that the disciples worshiped Jesus as the Son of God. So, um, but in Mark's gospel, you know, I, I wonder even if the disciples were aware of a feeding miracle at the time, because well, they did not understand about the loaves. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, mean, I don't either. Um, I don't either. I don't know. I mean, obviously, John brings in Philip and Andrew. Did yeah. they know? Uh, well, John has a totally different take on that's this. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I shouldn't be. I, I'm doing what the reformers do. I'm collapsing. That's Sorry. okay. okay no go worries. On. Let's go on. So, you know, unfortunately, in Mark's gospel, the outcome of the feeding miracle, This again, this is the one miracle that's in all four gospels, right? It's right. that's significant. In Mark's gospel, the outcome of the feeding miracle is not greater insight into Jesus' identity on the part of the disciples, but a lack of understanding. And Mark says the reason for this is that their hearts were hardened. Mm. And I think this is perhaps one of the harshest remarks about the disciples in the whole gospel tradition. Now, we have to remember, when Jesus speaks of people's hearts being hardened, it's typically the people who refused to believe in him. Mm-hmm. That's the language. Right. That, that, yep. is not, yeah. that is not language that should be taken lightly. In the biblical witness, those with hardened hearts are those who close themselves off from faith. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I think we should really recognize this is an incredibly harsh statement. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of Isaiah 6.10, where Isaiah is supposed to make the ears of these people, you know, unable to hear, make their eyes blind. Mm-hmm. Because their hearts have become dull or mm-hmm. or hardened, and and the idea is that um, you know, and, and we've seen this. I think we saw this also with reference to the parables 
um, recently, you know, where only those who were able to hear were able to truly mm-hmm. get what Jesus was right, saying. Right. And the others in, 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 in all the gospel, all the synoptic gospels, the others quote that passage from Isaiah six, mm-hmm. you know, about their hearts being hardened and they're not being able to stand. And so it's, this is very harsh language. I mean, it, it, this it, is the language that Mark uses for Jesus opponents who, who don't understand because their hearts are hardened. And, you know, in Mark three, uh, he, he works a miracle in a synagogue and the, and the people, you know, the leaders are offended and Jesus, it says Jesus was grieved at them because their hearts were hardened. It's the same yeah, Right. Language. Right. You know, and that's, it's, it's interesting when you think of that in terms of the disciples, because somehow they're supposed to be the ones. <laughs> I know, right. The other thing that strikes me is, you know, I'm thinking about the gospel are here writing this, you know, so, you know, what, what, what do you believe? And you see that these most ardent followers don't believe, but perhaps he's giving us, Mark is giving us more insights than really the disciples had or providing us with this idea of not even uh, this kind of awe of how did they not get it? Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, and to me, I read this as a, a very authentic kind of perspective on how would a human being right. respond to this kind of right. incredible act right, right. you know mm-hmm. uh, you know we want to say we want to say oh we would have just we would have just believed sight unseen you know a lot of people think so much it would be so much easier to have faith in jesus if we had just been there and been able to see him well right. here these are well, the folks who were with know, him and they didn't even they get didn't. it and i think actually that's a really good point i mean maybe that's why mark wrote it this way with this idea of you think you were there it wouldn't matter it's it's almost mark's version of blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed yeah yeah it is it is that's really uh, that's really good that's a fun sermon right there there you go all right um so let's let's look at the conclusion of this yeah so mark concludes this story which is probably meant to be seen as another sandwich and unfortunately the lectionary only gives you the two ends of the (laughs) of the bun Um, but, but Mark concludes the story with a summary of Jesus' ministry in Gennesaret, not Bethsaida, yeah. as was indicated initially, which is, I find interesting. Uh, but I think we're meant to see here that Jesus' fame has spread yes. to such an extent that wherever he goes, he's surrounded by throngs of people seeking, seeking healing. Mm-hmm. And Mark even says here that they begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. And we saw that before with the woman who had the, the hemorrhages. Um, uh, and, and right. you know, apparently Mark has this idea of, you know, that people were able to just touch Jesus' clothing and, right. and be healed by well, their faith by their faith yes, right exactly and this is an in, another interesting kind of space on faith i mean who mm-hmm. are the who are the true believers and mm-hmm. it appears yeah. to, <laughs> these these crowds who don't even know jesus are, are the ones who have the faith enough right. to be healed and his own disciples <laughs> hearts are hard right uh, right right <laughs> okay and so and continue on yeah, so I, to me, I think the point of this whole episode in Mark's gospel is to illustrate Jesus' compassion towards the crowds. And you can kind of get that from the lectionary selection, but, um, you know, I think it works better when you have the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're meant to see that he has compassion even though the crowds increasingly throng towards him for healing. And remember, you know, we saw earlier, this poses a challenge for Jesus' ministry because that his intent was not to come as a healer, but rather to serve as the agent who was making real the kingdom of God in the lives of people. And so, you know, I, I, I sort of see this as creating narrative tension in Mark's overall gospel. Because okay. we've already seen that, that Jesus yes. seems, seems to want to avoid just being um, stuck in the, in the role of being a healer because mm-hmm. he has more, more important things to do. Right. Um, but he, right. He, he does it anyway because of his compassion for the people. And I think, I think this builds the tension in the overall narrative that you know, Jesus' popularity reaches eventually reaches such a point that the Jewish leaders decide that he can't be allowed to continue his work. Right, right, which makes sense, I guess, from a human point of view, right? When, mm-hmm. you, when, you, when you see this person who is gaining followers and power and th- threatens your existence. That's so, exactly what happened. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll come back and, and look at um, particularly Calvin and what Calvin does with this passage. But All right. I'll, 
throw in a couple others as well. Okay, sounds good. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to let Christy have a turn to fill us in on um, what the Reformers had to say about this interesting passage. So tell us what you found, Christy. Well, today I looked at Calvin um, and and his commentaries on the passage. And, um, you know, this is an interesting one because he's fully aware that John deals with this as well. And we know in the collapsing world... (laughs) What do you do with John? Um, and his point really was that simply that John's passage has a different emphasis. Um, I would say I would say that's an understatement. Right, right. Well, because I didn't read it in, a, in in the French version, but I read it um, um, at least the the English version. But yeah, it has a different emphasis, and that he's going to be pointing forward at the, the sermons later on, whereas um, Mark then really he believes from Matthew, Mark, and Luke that the emphasis of of this is the escape from Herod's court. So mm. again, that idea of that this is a response to really the trauma that they had before. Yeah, um, with, the, with the death of John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's juxtaposing Herod's evil with Christ's grace. Wow, interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. And, uh, and as I said, there's this need for these traumatized disciples, which I, I appreciated that he... he came into that that would have been a terribly traumatic event I, I um, um, and, to, and to move away and that they can get somewhere else. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I think, you know, with the way we break it down uh, week by week, we can miss the connect, that kind of connection. Yeah, I, I think we can't. I, we absolutely miss those connections, and and I'm impressed that Calvin identified this connection. I am too. But it's interesting, though, unlike a modern commentary, there's still this desperate need to try to, to make sense of this as one whole Well, they need, still need a harmony of the Gospels and a, and a life of Jesus. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and it's interesting, though, they don't really ever say these are at odds with each other. There's, <laughs> you know, it is a harmonizing process. So mm-hmm. if, there's a, if there's a place where they can't explain the difference, they explain away something. Right. And, and, so and I just, that's the whole problem with harmonizing. Exactly. So it is really interesting. But um, there's a handful of things um, just to kind of walk through that we can talk about here. One first is um, who the multitude are. Um, and... Uh, that, that these are people that are just hungry to hear God's word. Mm. But he also notes that, so they're not following Jesus because of the miracles that he performs. They're not following Jesus because, uh, um, because of the char- charismatic reason. They're following because of the word, because of what he's going to teach ah. them. And that's, uh, he picks up on that here. Interesting. And that's, of course, one of the big, big emphasis sure. of that reformation sure. is that it's hearing the word. I, I would say that I would say that he's let John influence his reading of the synoptics there to some extent. Because oh. that's that's really the focus of, of, of John's take on this. And it's you don't find that in the synop, in the synoptic gospels. So right, much. right. I, I agree. And I think that's also part of his theology. And, and right. And another 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 piece that he will make that is similar to pull out of John is that he'll say, well Oddly enough, of all of these people that follow, that follow Jesus, um, there's only going to be a few actual believers in the end. Mm-hmm. So again, he's kind of pulling away from, from, the ma- from the magic, if you will, into the, just the emphasis of, of how the word works. It's that, that shift that we've talked about so often. So he's got that lens of, of what, what is true faith in his view, and, and true faith comes in response to the word, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And it's that sense of, you know... It, where we're shifting into this idea of kind of uh, kind of logical developments that emerge in this this early modern world, as opposed to this kind of just emphasis on on magic. So this this mm. kind of idea of of where proof comes from, and mm. we're not yet to a rational world, but we're definitely moving away from emphasis on faith and miracles versus faith. Yeah, faith and in it's the, it's in the message. He's yeah. still going to be very much miracle oriented, but what's as you said, what's the origins of the miracle? We don't know mm. how the miracle happened, and he's mm. quite aware of that. We don't have a description of that, mm. um, so he kind of can bring that kind of questioning in. He's starting at that point. So, yeah. um, anyway, then um, the other really thing is what does the meal itself mean and um this is uh um 
an interesting space because while it's feeding the souls, this is also for their bodies. And all the reformers go back to this is because um, it's first you seek the kingdom of God and then all's given unto you. And so really? Calvin does it. Johannes Brenz does it. He's a German, German reformer. Um, so they are pulling that in saying, look, um, the, if, if, if your soul is fed, then everything else will come to you. Well, and, and that makes sense out of Mark's sequence because Mark teaches first and then feeds, which is different from John. In John's gospel, John feeds, uh, Jesus feeds, and then teaches. Yeah, isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. Exactly. But I, you know, I've here. never thought about bringing Matthew 6.33 in like that, uh -huh, though, they because all, but that's they all a, do. a fascinating insight. But yeah. they all do. And mm -hmm. I thought that was, I mean, someone started, and undoubtedly somebody had mm -hmm. this insight, and then the other ones had read and probably picked up on that. Sure, um, sure. I'm not so sure that Mark is that explicit about it, um, you know, as I said before, I think, I think they were coming to him. I mean, in Mark's, in Mark's case, they were coming to him because he was healing them. Right. And right. that was simply it. You yeah, know? Exactly. I, I think you're right. I think that's exactly where Mark is coming from. Mm -hmm. um, there's this, ten, there's, as I said, this tendency in Calvin to look a little bit of what we call eisegesis and really coming mm -hmm. in from, well, I have this theology of grace and right. I have to come in and make sense of it here. It's that, it's that that shift that we're seeing into kind of a modern a modern approach and so he's kind of reading into oh well sure. i see grace working here in this way I, it, I'm, I'm interested to track track down you know was this from augustine was this from john chrysostom was this one one of one from one of the early fathers or was this something that was an insight that the reformers came to mm -hmm. i don't think that matthew six thirty three is is uh incompatible with mark's account you know and i right. don't think this idea of seeking you know, uh, spiritual food uh, first and then um, actual food, you know, I don't think that's incompatible with Mark's account. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated that they did that and mm -hmm. interested to know where that originated. Uh, and often Calvin will tell us, and I didn't see that here. Mm. So often wow. he'll say, oh, well, Augustine says this, or, but he didn't say that here. So I don't, I don't know where yeah, this came from an exactly. And, and I didn't trace it back. Although I can say this, I did see earlier references to this by reformers than calvin mm -hmm. so he may have picked it up from another reformer they now have, yeah. uh, um, um and then uh, probably the biggest emphasis is on the blessing itself and i'll spend mm. a lot of time with this in john um but for calvin uh, when we go to the john passage next week but for calvin this is a big example of how one is to uh, receive receive food, bless food, how one is to recognize mm. God's presence with them. And so here's something that we would probably not pull out in a modern day context as being particularly important. This is this ritual practice of Thanksgiving becomes the biggest deal for Calvin and it really pushes it. And um, well, you know, there, there are a lot of New Testament scholars who see the Last Supper which becomes the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. as an extension of Jesus' meals with his disciples. Mm -hmm. So there's a connection there. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I, think, I think there's some basis for that. And, and maybe, maybe we would do well in our own practice to see blessing the food Mm -hmm. as an extension of our practice of the Lord's Supper, mm -hmm. recognizing that Christ is present with us at every meal, not just right, at, the, right. at the table you know, of the Lord. Exactly, exactly. And I'll talk about that a little bit more when we hit uh, the section on John, but um, I, I found that, I found that an, an interesting... <laughs> kind of an interesting pull it, it felt it felt uncomfortable when he pulls it out of there when because mm -hmm. you're thinking of i wouldn't have gone there necessarily mm -hmm. although mm -hmm. you, i could um um that that becomes so important to him but again calvin is also interested in what that church is going to look like and how people are going to be acting in the church sure. and what is their role in the church sure. very pastoral so there's concern. different kinds of questions that are being asked here beyond right. Right. just theology or theology in action maybe um, yeah, and for my part, you know, I, I really am, am reflecting the fact that the words that Jesus uses, the, the words that are used to describe Jesus' actions 
are word for word the same in all three synoptic gospels. Mm-hmm. I think they're reminiscent of the the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think the readers of any of the gospels would have missed that. And we do, unfortunately. But yeah. but yeah. I think that um, I think that a connect. I think it's fascinating to connect um, our our concept of Christ's presence with us at the table of the Lord with our concept of Christ's presence with us in every Right, exactly, exactly. Um, And then one of the other things that I wanted to pull out from this today was um, just this really bizarre little anti-Jewish sentiment that came in here. Really? Yeah, it was kind of like, look, everybody, we, we heard this before, everybody... This is obvious from this passage. All the Jews knew who Christ was. Look how many people showed up. Wow. And therefore, and they were all considered, they were all welcome. They were all part of the flock until they abandoned Christ. Wow. I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, that is certainly not something I would have come up with. But Well, and I would say, I think part of what's going on here is that they are collapsing. Because in John's account, the final conclusion of this whole chapter, as we'll see over the coming mm-hmm. weeks, is that because of what Jesus says to them in the Bread of Life discourse, many, yes. John says, many no longer followed him. Exactly. That's not the, the impression you get in Mark's gospel. No. And the impression in Mark's gospel is that the crowds thronged him even more so. Exactly. Yeah. But this is, this is very much part of, of, of how of how they understand the gospel. And I think we're guilty of it today. I mean, I really do. Because unless we study these, we hear the stories and then we tend to, or maybe I should say uh, the folks in our in our pews, and then they hear it, and then they kind of put it all together. Everybody has their own sort of personal harmony of Jesus' life. Exactly. They, they do hear these things with, with um, you know, with the whole thing sort of in mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, exactly. and so I, they, that's what they're doing, you know. And, and right. I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I understand that emphasis and that, that, I, that idea, but, um, you know, for my part, I find it more valuable able to to look at what each gospel uh writer oh i agree i agree out. and i think i think today we would right mm-hmm. and so again it's part of the the era that we're in um uh so and then to move to the end um so just just to kind of come away uh, i think alan said it in, in a present day um yeah this is this is the overwhelming um number of people that that followed Jesus this mm-hmm. that how Jesus reached the crowds that was something obviously that Calvin observed as well mm-hmm. um, and made quite a big deal about it this 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 whole this whole thing was just to really show um, uh, how he reached the people and how he cared for them too mm-hmm. um, another piece of this that is a little bit of so- aside is just the role of the disciples and that becomes more important in, in the John passage as well. Um, but that this is part of their empowerment to spare the news, which is interesting when it comes to Mark. So unbelieving, but I have to, I'll talk about this more too next week, but there's really this, this tendency in the pre-Reformation church to not allow the disciples to, not be strong believers. And mm. and really when you're talking about hierarchy in the church, um, and this stems from the Roman Catholic tradition. And so while the Protestants are uh, starting to observe that the clueless disciples exist, um, they're not quite ready to dismiss yeah. them as much as we are today. Well, they wrote part of the New Testament, right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, um, and so, and one of the things, at least in this one, um, Calvin doesn't go there here, but he says, look, this is to encourage those disciples to go out and, and spend a lot of, um, and spread the news that their, their job was to hand out the food. Um, their, their job was to, to make sure everybody is fed that they're, they were empowered with that. Yeah, you know, one of the things we're going to see, and I find this fascinating is that there's there, you know, in, in, in the synoptic, well, in Mark's gospel, the disciples hand out the food, but they don't get it. In John's gospel, Jesus himself distributes the food mm-hmm. and the disciples 
are very much aware of what's going on. And mm-hmm. they're the ones who remain true to him when all the others right. stop following. Right. Him. So it's, it's, you know, you've, you, you, they're, they're right. Mark says they're right involved. They're doing the handing out of the food and yet they didn't understand about the loaves. How did that, how could that happen? How could that be? <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. How could that be? They didn't. Yeah. And, and ultimately um, Calvin's, Calvin's comes back to the, the whole episode is all about grace. Mm. It's all about grace, which I thought was interesting also. Um, but, um, well, and, and the compassion you know, of Christ, yeah, the grace of Christ, exactly. The, and, and that's really what he wants us to come away with. Yeah. And end. I would agree with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it is about, I think the whole story is meant in Mark's gospel to show us the compassion that Jesus right, had for right. the crowd. And that is, that is what Calvin actually comes out to. So I, he takes some detours. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is what is what he would emphasize the most. Yeah, so good. All right. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to spend some time uh, just chatting about how we see um, the application of this passage fitting into your sermon preparation. And so I'm going to let Christy uh, share some thoughts. Well, I think with, you know, as I think about this this series in in Scripture, I, I think we get very, very caught up with the miracle in terms of how it happens and in terms of what it looked like and then even wondering wondering so much about the mechanics that we forget about this message that both Alan and frankly John Calvin picked up on was this is about compassion and so i think focusing my energy on that all of a sudden it it takes away kind of the even the necessity to do a bunch of the questioning as i said it's not as alan said it's not even depicted in mark how the miracle happened so why do we spend so much time and effort thinking about that yeah you know um and as you as you're commenting there i'm thinking about jesus compassion um you know in light of the the fact that you know it seems that jesus tried to avoid being um sort of sidetracked from his mission of proclaiming and and manifesting the kingdom of god uh, into one of simply healing and yet, I think we have we should notice we should see that you know, <laughs> fundamental to who Jesus was was this compassion that mm-hmm. drew him to the crowds. You know, mm-hmm. here he is. You know, he has said he's the one who's instigated this. Let's withdraw to a deserted yes. place so that you can rest. You know, we need this, and and they get there and they're met with this huge crowd right. of people thronging to him just like they always have and you know you know i think if i had been the one in the boat i might have said if i when i saw the crowd on the shore i might have said let's go someplace else let's go someplace else (laughs) exactly but you know at the same but but you know jesus just comes right on in and begins to minister to these people and i think i think you know not only do we are we meant to see this this is part of who jesus is is this mm-hmm. is who he was this was his character he could not separate being compassion having compassion for these people from his ministry of the kingdom it was it was intertwined very right. integrally a part of that right um and you know i think you know you you, you get the call on your day off that a family in your right. church has right. a loved one who's at the point of death right you know i mean for me my immediate Question, my immediate question is, will they let me come? Exactly. And if the answer is exactly. yes, I, I say, okay, I'll be right there. Exactly. Yeah, it's an interesting, um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that strikes me about this is um, vocation and avocation, right? Mm-hmm. And and as in our, in our position, are we both? Is this something that, this is just our job that we take off when we get home? Or are we indeed, is this something that is to the core of who we are? as ministers and, and called to be. And I think it's interesting because I do think, um, I think we ask that. And I've, I've been in situations where people will say, oh, I'm not working today. You need to call somebody else. And I think when it's to the core of who we are, um, 
it's really more about responding now. It doesn't matter whether I'm off today or on today. You well, know? And, to, and to me, there's a little bit of both. You know, this is my vocation. This is my job. This is my livelihood. But it is also my avocation. Mm -hmm. It is my calling. It is integral to my identity. It is a part of who I am. So for me, you know, if, if, if I get an email on my day off, that really isn't all that big a deal. Right. I'm going to wait You're until wait. Monday morning, right. maybe even right. to respond to it. And, and you know, I've had to sort of train my folks that way. And I think there's, there's something I to agree. be said for that. I agree. You know. But that's different. I'm talking about, I'm talking crisis. about this yeah. crisis care. Yeah. And, but, but it's interesting. And I, I, I'm thinking of turning that to all who are called in Christ and, mm. and, uh, you know, uh, and including the people in our, in our congregations, yeah. even if they are, uh, you know, to, to what extent are they Christians outside the building, right? Right? Are they only Christians when they come to church? Or indeed, are they responding as, as disciples when they leave the building? Yeah, and I think that's, a, that's an interesting point because I think, I think there are some who, who are, but I think there are many who, you know, the, the building is where they practice their faith and, and even their compassion, and, uh, yeah, I think you're uh, right. And you know, uh, you know, I that's a that's a that's a mindset that um, I think you know I've worked throughout my career to try to um, shall I say correct you know um, um, with challenges to to full a full life of style mm-hmm. of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And I think this you know we we think about Jesus. And his compassion, but I think about those drawn to the words of Jesus. What was Jesus saying to them that they were so hungry to hear more? Mm-hmm. And if, yeah, they 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 beat the boat. <laughs> you know, exactly. they 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 made their way yeah. around the Sea of Galilee yeah. and beat them to the other side. Exactly. Yeah. I, 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 it wasn't just. It, it, I think that's where Calvin comes in. It wasn't just about the miracles. It wasn't just about the healing. It mm-hmm. was about. It was about the hope and the promise and that Jesus was 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 spreading to them. It was it was powerful. Yeah. You know, something came to mind as we're sitting here talking and I kept thinking being in the crowd, 5,000 hungry people and there's just this little bit of food. Wouldn't the normal response be fighting over the food? Uh, wouldn't the normal pushing response your way be to the pushing front. your way to the front? Yeah. I mean, I could think of all kinds of disasters happening and yet well we have seen them on the news (laughs) where where aid organizations are trying to pass out food and the people are just clamoring for Mm -hmm. it right and here's these people presumably waiting until they get the food And, and, and to me that suggests a lot about the power of the word that jesus is speaking that maybe maybe they're right maybe it is you know if if you're fed by 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 your soul then you know then mm-hmm. everything else will be taken care of but it's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. um to really think about human right. response the dynamics and what of a we crowd, normally right? would see yeah, yeah um this is pretty extraordinary that this crowd is um that they would be seated in groups of 50s and hundreds right i know exactly <laughs> I mean, and, and maybe they did expect that something was going to happen you know i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm off off base and thinking that they weren't aware because you know again the normal crowd behavior would be well i'm going to get in the cra- in the in the in the group that's right next to jesus so that i get some food uh, exactly <laughs> Ex- exactly so yeah. you know i think there's some I think there's some wonderful um, messages that, that that could be preached about this instead of about the miracle itself, but mm. about uh, but about that it happened and, and and the sharing and the grace and all mm. these things that that are enveloped in this story. Well, and you know, in 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 previous um, generations. Um, after the Enlightenment, people tried to come up with rationalistic explanations for Jesus' miracles. And so one of the rationalistic explanations for the feeding of the 5,000 was, when the people saw this young, well, um, he's identified as a boy, you know, in mm-hmm. John's gospel, share his food with everybody else. It led them to bring out the food that they had brought with them and to share it with everybody mm-hmm. else. So it was this big love feast. Well, yeah, I, I, that's not really the implication of Mark's gospel. Mm-hmm. The implication of Mark's gospel is that these people have come, they don't have any food, and and the disciples, you know, want to dismiss 
dismiss them to go find some food as best they can. Right, right. Uh, I, I've heard that preached. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's okay if you preach that. It's not probably what I would preach, but... Um, yeah, I wouldn't go there myself because I, I think I think it misses the point. Um, I, I think I think you know in in Mark's gospel, the thought occurs to me that we are meant to see Jesus as this agent of the kingdom who acts with the authority of God. Yeah, and and not only that, but here the compassion of God. Well, and I think that we're meant. I'm, I'm, I wonder if maybe it was Jesus you know, authority and compassion that calmed the crowd. Yeah, yeah. That they they came to him because well, they saw this. and think about this. And then this is coupled with that walking and getting in the boat, on the water where he getting re- in the boat. Where, he, where yeah. he basically reveals himself to his exactly. disciples. Yeah. Exactly, which suggests what you said, this, the authority of God. Mm-hmm. So, yes, and I think... I think that's a more important emphasis. Maybe maybe the calm and the crowd is part of the miracle too. <laughs> well, you know, that would be a fun thing to preach. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. What's striking me about this is, is I'm, you know, is I'm kind of um, hard on the Revised Common Dictionary for you know, concluding these back to back, but then thinking there's so much stuff here. Mm-hmm. You could easily preach on this for several Sundays in a row and, yeah. and take a different take because there's so much going on. Yeah, so. that's true. I, I just, I just find myself, I think in Mark's gospel drawn to the image of Jesus. I think that's where his focus is. And, you know, as I said before, you know, I think so too. Mark, Mark focuses on Jesus authority slash power, but here, you know, we have the, the clear emphasis that, that Jesus ministers with God's compassion. Yeah, I like that too. And I you think know, that's the, I, and that's what Calvin said. That is ultimately what Calvin came to as right, well. Right. Yeah. You know, and you know, when, when you bring it back to, is it a vocation or is it an avocation on our part? There are ways I think we need to view our job as a vocation because we need to take care of ourselves. Right. 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 But if if it, it's if it's not an avocation on our part, if it's not coming out of, out of who we are, people will be able to tell that. I agree. I and agree. I, I think it has to come out of a heart of compassion. Our our work has to come out of a heart of compassion, or yeah. um, it's not really going to go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I hope that's some stuff for you to chew on as you're preparing sermons this week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Christy. Thanks. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.